You know, um, there's uh, people that say that um, you shouldn't use churchy language when you preach. Let, let me say this to you. I want you to listen. There's nothing wrong with the language of the Bible. Amen? All you have to do is explain what it means. Well, when you say about the Lamb of God, then tell them what it means, the Lamb of God. When you use the word redemption, you just say that means that you were purchased and paid for by the blood of Christ. When you use the word sanctification, it means that you've been set apart to God. Hey, the, the words of the Bible are eternal words, and that they need to be used because they're, they're words blessed by God, and if you explain what they mean. I mean, here's a person who is saved and dies to go to heaven and has never heard anything about the Lamb of God. I mean, hey, come on. They're going to be worshiping the Lamb of God. So just remember that um, this whole idea that you don't use biblical words and biblical language is a bunch of garbage. You use it and you explain it and God honors it. He promised to honor his word and he will honor his word. You know, uh, we're coming toward the end of our 40 days of prayer, but it's not the end, it's just the beginning. We're going to keep praying. We're having our prayer warriors luncheon next Sunday. We've got about 125 or 30 signed up on our uh, prayer on, on our prayer warriors wall. And so we'll be having a luncheon for them. And then we'll gather by day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we'll meet together and kind of encourage each other and just kind of put a little uh, push in our warriors on the wall. And so it'll be good. We continue to pray on Thursday morning uh, at 6 o'clock. And we have wonderful prayer meeting every Friday night from 7 to 8.30. So, uh, and we have people that are praying during the services. So, you know, the church moves forward on its knees. And you'll see that today. Uh, I want to speak to you about how powerful prayer produces the presence and power of God. In the third and fourth chapters of the book of Acts, you have kind of like a 24-hour period in the life of the church. It's a great little snapshot of what the early Christians were doing. Shortly after the resurrection, shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, it's just like God opens the window and says, let me show you how my church operates. Let me show you how my church ministers. Let me show you how my church goes from victory to to victory. Boy, and in chapter 3 and 4, man, you see the church praying, and man, you see the presence of God come, and you see the power of God come and fill them, and it is an exciting, exciting thing. Look over in uh, Acts chapter 3, and I want to show you the events that lead up to the powerful prayer meeting. All right, Peter and John we're going into the temple. Stay with me now. At the time of prayer. And there was a man lame from his mother's womb who was laying at the gate of the temple. Now guess what? He'd been laying there every day. Did you know Jesus walked past him many times? 
and didn't heal him. I wonder why. Someone said to me, it's all about God's timing. When God will get the greatest glory, that's when God does the miracle. When God will get the greatest glory. And so even though Jesus walked by, and Peter and John had walked by many times, but this man on this day reached out and was asking for money. And look on the screen and you'll see Acts 3, 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And man, a great miracle occurred. And you read, read, you read on after verse 6 and goes on through verse 10. And it says, I, I'd love to have seen this. It says, then he took, in verse 7, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now get this. He just got healed. So leaping up, so he, so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? Man, I bet the people in the temple said, what in the world is going on? Oh, that's a guy that's been laying at the gate of the temple all these years. And they just told him to be healed in the name of Jesus. And there he is walking and leaping and praising, praising God. All right? So, we, we see the miracle. This is leading up now to the, the powerful prayer meeting. The next thing we see is the, the, is the message. Look in verse um, 12. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Well, so now the people saw this man healed, and they rushed to Solomon's porch to be with Peter and John. And, and, and so it says in verse 12 of chapter 3, it says, Now the lame man, who was, this is verse 11, Now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. <laughs> and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, all right, now I want you to listen to what he does. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people and he gives them the message. So the miracle is followed by the message of who did this and why he did it. Look at what it says here. So Peter, when he saw it, responded to the people, verse 12, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this as though, and why do you look so intently on us as through our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk. We, had, we didn't make him walk. You're looking at us like it was us who did it. It wasn't. Then in verse 13, he always gives the glory to God. He always gets to the message. The, it's, it's not the miracle. It's the miracle worker. The God of Abraham, verse 13, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. He was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murder, murderer to be granted, Barabbas, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And then he says, and his name, through faith in his name, this man has been made strong, whom you see and know. Yes, faith which comes through him was given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So Peter said, let me tell you one thing. You've just seen a miracle, but it's all about the miracle worker, and it's Jesus. You killed him, but God raised him up, and by Jesus, this man stands before you whole. Well, we're moving on. 
toward the prayer meeting. Well, you would think they would all rejoice about it. We'll look in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And we find that the religious people got upset. They just got upset because they weren't in control and, and they didn't believe in the supernatural. The Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, Peter and John, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, look at this. Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. See, they were always talking about Jesus. They weren't talking about this, that, or the other, but they said, man, they just kept talking about Jesus. And look, Jesus not only healed that man, but he, boy, you can trust him. One day he'll raise you from the dead. So they got upset. And, and they say it very nicely in the Bible. Verse 3, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody. Hey, by the way, that was not a motel they put them in. They put them in jail. <laughs> okay. They laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Okay, we got a miracle, we got the message, and now, well, we got the meeting. I mean, they are disturbed. They're disturbed. And you go on and you notice, I want to show you who was at that meeting. Look at verse 8. Boy, you're talking about a high-level meeting. You, you would have thought that the most important in the world, and it was just Peter and John. But boy, they had everybody that was anybody. Look at verse 7 and 8. All right, verse 5 and 6. And it came to pass the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. I mean, I'm telling you, anybody that was anything in the Jewish religion was there in this meeting. I mean, it was the uppity-ups of the uppity-ups. It was the big shots, I'm telling you. All right, and look what happens. All right, and when they had set them in the middle of them. So here all these people in all their religious garb, and they set Peter and John right down in the middle of them. And oh boy, do they set themselves up. <laughs> they ask the right question to the right person. Listen to what they ask in verse 7. By what power or what name have you done this? Oh me. They didn't know what they were getting in for. Because Peter was ready to tell them. He was ready to tell. And boy, he starts preaching. Look at verse 9. If in this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man... By what, by what means he is made whole? Now listen to what he says to him. Let it be known by you all and to all the people of Israel that, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. And boy, then he, he lays them out. The stone which you rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Man, I mean, don't you know they just was laid back, as Peter said. Jesus said, you crucified. God raised him from the dead. He's the one that worked this miracle. And I want to tell you, God's made him the cornerstone of all that God's going to do in ages to come. Well, at the, as this meeting progressed, that they, uh, it says here, uh, and by the way, in verse 12, you know what he tells them? 
that there's no other way to be saved. Listen in verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. He said to those religious, listen, not only did God raise him from the dead, he's the only way to be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All right, verse 13. I love what they said about Peter and John. When, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they saw that they were uneducated and untrained men. You know, there's some people that have got as many degrees as thermometer. You know, they really have. Peter and John didn't have anything. You know what school they went to? The school of Jesus for three years. For three years, they listened to him teach. For three years, they watched him live. For three years, they saw his mighty power. They saw him die on the cross. They saw God raise him from the dead. They talked with him after the resurrection. They saw him ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And it didn't matter, friend. I mean, they knew Jesus. And it says here, and they realized in the last part of verse 18, they realized that they had been with Jesus. Man, that the people that we work with and the people that we live around and members of our family, man, that we, we, we may not be the smartest people in the world, and we may, but I'll tell you what, I just pray that they will realize that we've been with Jesus, that we know him, that we love him, that we walk with him, that they'll see Jesus in our life. There was no explanation for Peter and John but Jesus. That was the only explanation. That's what I want to be, the only explanation for our life, the only explanation for our church is, hey, it's all Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not Brother Fred. It's not Brother Ed. It's not this. It's not that. It's not the nursery. It's not the preschool. Thank God for all of that. I'm telling you, it's Jesus. And if they don't get Jesus, they don't get anything. And, and that's what the message of this church is. Well, they, they got upset. So they told Peter and John to leave. They said, y'all get out. We've got to have a private meeting. All right. But look at verse 15. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council. Hey, they one of them whispered to the other, we need to have a private meeting and let's get Peter and John out of here. Get them out of here. So they'd make them leave. And they conferred among themselves. What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We cannot deny what God has done in them and through them. So what are we going to do with them? They called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They said, don't you talk about Jesus anymore. Don't you preach about Jesus anymore. You keep your mouth shut about Jesus. I want you to listen to me. We're living in a society in America that more and more wants to silence the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to silence us. They say, man, don't, don't you put a manger scene in a public place. Don't you pray at school. Don't you pray before a ball game. Don't, don't, don't say Merry Christmas. Say Happy Holiday. All they're doing is say, listen, the name of Jesus disturbs us. It disturbs us. Glory to God. It does. It ought to disturb you. And so they try to silence us. And man, you can talk about God all you want to. Oh, I want to talk about God. 
But you sit saying, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, came into my life, changed me, and now I'm following him. And you need Jesus. You need to know him. Let me tell you something, friend. The pressure will increase on you in the days to come to be silent and not to speak it, teach at all in the name of Jesus. And these young people, this younger generation, you're going to get all kind of pressure to keep your mouth closed about Jesus. They say you can't have a Bible on your desk at work or you can't wear a cross around your neck. I'm telling you one thing, enough is enough. And we will not shut up and we will not be silent about the majesty and glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Peter and them said, Boy, Peter said, let me, let me just answer your question for you. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. And then he said it in verse 20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't keep silent. We can't because your eternal soul is hanging in the balance. Well, all this was happening. Then it, they threaten them again. I want you to look at the next verse. All right, so they, they Peter answered. And so in, in verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they let them go. And I guess they told them, said, you know, if you keep on teaching and preaching in Jesus, you, you won't, you're going to spend more than the night in jail. You're going to spend a long time in jail. And, and I'll be very frank with you. If you keep on preaching and teaching Jesus, it could cost you your life. And so they threatened them, and then they threatened them again. They severely threatened them, and, and then they let them go. Verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people that were glorified God for what they had seen. The man over, was over 40 who the miracle of healing was performed. Okay. Now we get to the message. We get to the prayer meeting. And being let go, look at that verse, chapter 4, verse 23. Being let go, they went to their own companions and reported to them all the chief priests and elders had said to them, well, they arrested us, kept us in jail overnight, and they threatened us, and they told us to shut up. And not to talk about Jesus anymore. Well, I want you to notice what happened. I look, at, I look into verse 24. So when they heard that, you know what they said? It is not in the Bible, but they said, well, let's pray. Let's pray about it. Hey, man, we've we got to talk to God about this. It says here, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God. Hallelujah. I love it. They raised their voice to God with one accord. Now, what we would do today is this. We'd say, now, I'd pray we wouldn't do this, Luke 4, 18. But you say, you know what? They, they put us in jail and threatened us and told us not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. And what we need to do is to appoint a committee to study what we're supposed to do. God help us. <laughs> We'd spend three months saying, well, how are we going to answer them? No. They said, I'll tell you what let's do. We need to start praying right now. And boy, they started praying right now. And boy, did they know how to pray. Oh, my Lord, listen to how they prayed. It blessed me beyond words. You know what they started out praying? 
They didn't mention the chief priests. They didn't mention the scribes. They didn't mention the Pharisees. They didn't focus on those who had threatened them. They put their focus straight on the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They just put, and it says here in that verse, they raised their voice to God with one accord. And you know the first thing they did? They praised God for his awesome greatness and his awesome power. Look what they said. They, they, didn't, they didn't mention the scribes and Pharisees. Well, look what they did. Listen to how they started praying. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Man, they started saying, God, you are omnipotent. You are all powerful. You created everything in this universe. Now, I want to say something to you. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what battle you're fighting. I don't know what trouble you're facing, but I want to tell you something. You need to start talking about your trouble, and you start, need to start talking to God about your trouble. You see, what you need to do is focus on God. Oh, I can focus on the problems in my life, and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. No, but then if I have the same faith and spirit that these people have. God, you created heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You focus on God and God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and your problem gets smaller, smaller, and smaller. They had it right. They said, God, we know the God we serve. And so they just, they said, first of all, they recognized God as the creator of all. And let me say one thing. They, create, they recognize God as being in control of all. I want to show you a verse. If you look down in verse uh, 27 and 28, they said, God, you created heaven and earth. Okay, you're, you're the omnipotent creator. You're the God we worship and the God we serve. And then they said, God, you're in control. We know what they did to Jesus. We know what Pilate did. We know what they did, but Lord, they couldn't have done it. Unless you had allowed it. You, you, God, you're in control. They couldn't have done it unless you allowed it. Look down in verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. said, Lord, they all came against Jesus. But just remember, we know they couldn't have done one thing unless you had allowed it. Look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before for them to do. You know why they were able to crucify him, Lord? Because that was your will, Father. You know why they were able to put him to death? Because that was your purpose, Father. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We, you knew he would never be redeemed. We'd never be forgiven unless Jesus, the lamb of God, had gone to the cross. Hey, when they came to take Jesus... He could have called 10,000 angels and they would have come and set him free. Lord, you not only created thing, all things, but you're in control of all things. They could not lay one finger on Jesus unless you had allowed it. Now, let me tell you one thing. If you're a child of God, God is in control. And if you're a child of God, if you're in the will of God, not one thing can touch you. Unless God allows it. Are you listening to me? Now if you're out there in rebellion. And you're out there in disobedience. And you're going your own way. 
I guarantee you, you're going to open some doors. And what you sow, you're going to reap. But I want to say this to you as a child of God. And you believe this now. And it will give you a peace that passes all understanding. If you're a child of God in the will of God, not one thing can touch you unless God allows it. So it touches you. You say, oh, Lord, that's not good. But you say, but I'm in your will. I'm doing what you want me to do. Okay, God, you allowed it. Now what are you going to do with it? I know one thing you'll do with it. You promised me that if I loved you, that you'd work all things together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. It may not be good right now, Lord, but good's going to come out of it, and I'm going to watch how you do it. So you've got to pray. And we're not looking at the problem. We're looking at an omnipotent God who created all things. And we're crying out to uh, a sovereign God who is in control of all things. Well, they just, they just keep on praying. And you know what they do? Let me tell you why prayer was so powerful. First of all, they focused on God, on who he is, and his power and control. But then, you know what they were? They were totally surrendered to God's will. Would you look what they prayed for? Now, let me tell you how I probably would have prayed. I hope not, but um, they, they, they prayed. I would think they would pray. Okay, now, Lord, you're all powerful and you're in control. Lord, first of all, why don't you just, uh, why don't you just cause lightning to strike the high priest? Knock him out. And then, Lord, uh, Alexander, Give him leprosy, Lord. Take care of him. You take care of that crowd, Lord. Would you just take care of him? Lord, just wipe them out if you have to now. Oh, no. You know what they prayed for? Did God give them more of what got them in jail? Now, think about this. They prayed for more of what got them in jail. Listen to what they prayed. Now, Lord, verse 29, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Come on, do you know what you're praying, uh, church? That, that's why they put Peter and John in jail, because they were preaching the word of God, that through Jesus men could be raised from the dead. And now you're asking God to give you more of what got you in trouble. They said, listen, God didn't call us to play it safe. God called us to be obedient. And God called us to do his will. And it's God's will. And we're, going to, we're surrendered. You see, you pray with a heart that has a tremendous faith, a small faith in a big God. But then you also pray with a heart that's surrendered, that no matter what it costs, you want what God wants. You're surrendered to his will. Lord, give us more boldness that we may preach your word. Man, they prayed with a surrendered heart. Well, you go on. And then, look at verse 30. Well, we need to pray this. Lord, we, whatever we're facing now as a church, whatever we're facing as individuals, God, you created all things and you're in control of all things. I praise you, Lord. Now, Lord, what I want you to do is this. I want you to give me more boldness and more strength to be a, a, a strong witness for Jesus with my life and my lips. And, Lord, I also would ask you to do this. Would you manifest your mighty power? Look at verse 30. He said here, Lord, would you stretch out your hand to heal? Now, let them know you're God. Just, Lord, just manifest your power. Stretch out your hand to heal. Do signs and wonders 
that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know what they said? Lord, you just show them that Jesus is alive. And you show them that he's a mighty in power by healing people, delivering people, saving people. Lord, you work signs and wonders in the mighty name of Jesus. Let me tell you something, friend. If you think that God is limited in any way, you do not know the God of the Bible. God is not limited in any way. God will do whatever he needs to do or wills to do to advance his kingdom and for the souls of men and women. Praise God. We don't have a meek and uh, weak God. We have a mighty and an awesome God. And if he needs to heal, he'll heal. If he needs to deliver, he'll deliver. If he needs to work signs and wonders, he'll work them. And that's God's business, but it's our business to ask God to manifest his power. Don't be afraid of God's power. Don't be afraid of it. I guarantee you the world will be amazed when they see the God of Elijah send fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. They said, God, just manifest your power. Well, then I get to my favorite verse. It says, verse 31. Now, let's just look at this. Man, this is good. And when they had prayed, I love that. I think I'll put that over the door of our church. And when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, you know, the church does everything but pray today. Luke 4.18 is not going to be that. We're going to pray. We're going to pray in our closet. We're going to pray at home. We're going to pray at our hour on the warrior on the wall. We're going to pray. I'm telling you, we're going to pray because prayer does what God can do. And I'm telling you, when we pray, we'll see things that can only be explained as Almighty God. And I just love it. It says, and when they had prayed, look what happened. God manifested his presence. Look what it says. The place where they were assembled together was shaken. Well, now, what about that? They were all sitting there, all probably laying down on their face, praying or kneeling, and they were just crying out to God. And after they prayed the way they prayed, all of a sudden, the building began to shake. Now, you know what that would be in America now with our our conditioning that there's no such thing as a supernatural or miraculous. Oh, my Lord, we must be having an earthquake. I wouldn't care if God would send it. Amen. The place where they were assembled was shaken. I want to tell you something. Things are not the same when the presence of God fills a place. Oh, they, knew, they said, oh, Lord, you're here. You're here, Lord. We sense your presence, Lord. You've literally shaken the ground that we're standing on. Oh, friend, listen. When we pray, God's presence comes. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I look back over from age 20 to age 76. I look back over it. And I remember... Many, 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 many times when God's presence would come. But then I remember a special times when it seems like God shook the place. I remember it well. 
I remember it, it was about 1974, and I preached at Cottage Hill, and we were, we were transitioning from a religious group of people to people that were seeking and believing God. And there was a lot going on. But I remember that Sunday morning, I preached a message called Christianity Cafeteria Style. How we like to pick and choose what part of God's Word we like. Oh, well, I like that. I think I'll take it. I don't like that, you know. And, and I'm telling you, the power of God, the presence of God came. And we were in the old building that leaked. And I, 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 remember, I, I remember that right aisle. People lined all the way back to the door coming to be prayed for. And coming, it was, it was a pile of stones in the progress of our church because God's presence came. And then I remember in the early, in 79, when Leonard Ravenhill came and spent two weeks with us. And we, we all became more keenly aware of the presence of God. I remember the night when the, it was a closing night when the black gentleman, I don't even know what his name was, came up and stood in the, pulpit and began to sing a cappella is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid is your all under the spirit's control and the glory of God just the presence of God just filled the place and I remember when we had the conference on revival with Miss Bertha and Jack Taylor and Jim Hilton and, and God was moving at the same time in Dothan and I just remember the presence of God Filling the place. Listen, friend, listen. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. It's called the presence of God. I remember, don't know the town I was in. I know it was just a little dinky motel. I was preaching somewhere. And I had a book called Victory in Christ by Charles Trumbull. And I got to the chapter where it said the life that wins. And the life that wins is the life of Jesus. And I realized it wasn't me, but it was Christ in me. And I mean the presence of God just filled that room. The, it, 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 he didn't shake it, but he didn't have to shake it because it was the presence of God. And listen, you go back in your life and you think of the times when God has visited you, when he has shaken the room that you were in when you got overwhelmed with the presence of God. I love Psalm 1611 that says, In your presence is it fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And when they had prayed, the presence of God came. But look at the second thing in that verse. And when they had prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God with boldness. Now I want you to wait a minute now. They had just finished praying. The presence of God ushered in. And every one of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Brother Fred, I thought being filled with the Spirit, that's for preachers and deacons. and that, That's for somebody that's special. Listen to me. The, the Spirit-filled life is the normal Christian life. God has no pets and God has no favorites. There are no second-class Christians in the kingdom of God. And the filling of the Spirit of God is for every child of God. And the only we live without being, reason we live without being filled with the Spirit is we're content to do so. Be not drunk with wine where is riot, but be filled with
of the Spirit of God, it enables us to live a holy life. Listen to this. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you trying or struggling or striving. The fruit of the Spirit is love, praise God, and joy, and peace, and gentleness, and goodness, and kindness, and faithfulness, and self-control, and long-suffering. Oh, it's a holy life. The fruit of the Spirit is the life of Jesus. And when you're filled with the Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in your life. And it's the life of Jesus. And people see Jesus in you because there's love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness and faithfulness in a world where there's confusion and distru- uh, anxiety and all kind of things that keep people just absolutely beat down. Here's a man or woman who are living in the midst of maybe difficult circumstances, but in their life there is love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness. and kind. It's the fruit of the Spirit, friend. It's a, there's no explanation. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to live a holy life. And it gives us the power to pray. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You know what happened when they prayed? And when they prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken. God's presence came. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God came and filled their lives, and they were different. By the way, they were the same people that had gotten filled with the Spirit in the second chapter of Acts. Remember at Acts at Pentecost? Holy Spirit came, first time filled them, like tongues of fire and filled them. This is the same crowd. They got filled in Acts 2, and now they're getting filled with the Spirit again. You say, why? Because we leak. That's why. We get full, and then we leak. We let attitudes or thoughts or words come in that grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit. And we have to say, oh, God, I repent. Lord, fill me again with the Holy Spirit. But here's the last thing that I see in this verse. And when they had prayed, this is a powerful prayer meeting. It released the presence of God. And they received the power of God. And they accomplished the purpose of God. And they all spoke the word of God with boldness. And look at the next verse. They were unified. There was a unity. I mean, a unity. Those who had something and others didn't, they gave it to them. They shared. Look here. It says here, and they spoke the word of God. God with boldness. The multitude of those who believe were with one heart. Listen, you know why God doesn't move in a lot of churches? Because they're divided, divided. People don't like each other or people have different opinions or people have agendas and they want to do it this, their way. Let me tell you something, friend. It's when we are one in Christ and we're united in him that we will see the power and glory of God. This is the most unified church I've ever pastored. You say, well, you pastored Cottage Hill. I'm telling you, this church has more unity than they had. They, that was one of them. I mean, then we had. No. There was always seemed like some, some faction here or there. God overrode every one of them and worked mighty things. But we've got a unity here that's of God, and we, we, we love each other, and we want to share with each other, and we want to minister to each other. It's not about each of us. It's about the body of Christ in this church. Amen. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say any of the things of his own. He possessed was his own. 
but they had all things in common. Praise God. And when they had prayed, we're not going to be the same after these 40 days of prayer. It's not going to be the same church. You're not going to be the same person because we're going on with God. And I just want you to know it is prayer that brings the presence of God into your life. It is prayer that brings the power of God into your life. And it is prayer that gives you the power to do the purpose of God. And you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Oh, Lord, make us a praying church.